the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, Scott and I are going to talk a little bit about church planting and my journey with church planting. So Scott, I thought you wanted to have this conversation, so I'll let you get the first word in. Yes, I won't even do the introducing, but uh, uh, Laura, I have followed your story and um, I've seen you go into the Covenant Church mm-hmm. and I have a little bit of familiarity with some of the co- uh, church planning uh, procedures and vision and theology and mm-hmm. network that they have. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that and just get some of your perspective, but uh, let's start with when did you... Uh, have a sense or a feeling or a call to plant a church? Yeah. So about, goodness, six or seven years ago, I felt God call me to pastor. And then a few months later, I felt God say to me that he wanted me to start a church, which I just thought was ridiculous. Like my honest response to that was that is asking a lot. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around pastoring. Um I did not feel qualified to be church a church planter. I didn't it wasn't something that I was actively pursuing or interested in. Um, so my first response was just sort of uh, shock and surprise, but I told God that if that's what he wanted, he was going to have to make it abundantly clear to me. I was open, um, but I was terrified. And at the time, I was still editing books for lots of different publishers, and I had one contact me about a Rush project, and I had agreed to the project without really knowing what it was. And a couple weeks later, I had a book show up on my porch, um, and it was a book on church planting. And uh, it was sort of a how-to manual. And as I read through it, um, I, I, I kept thinking over and over again, Oh, I understand. I understand how to do this. I I get this. This this fits with my background in evangelism and in building ministries. Um, I understand how to do this. And I was surprised at how much more I knew about it than I thought I knew about it. And mm. and and my takeaway from that was, oh, I could see why God would call me to do this. But oh, it was wow. not at all something I was looking for. Um and and still to this day, it took me a long time to be willing to say it out loud because it just felt like such a dramatic thing for me to say that God had called me to do. It seemed so outside of my wheelhouse. Um, so it, it came as a total surprise to me. Okay, now here's a question that I have entertained. And I've, I've heard some discussions about this. Uh, but uh, what is the, uh, what do you know about women planting churches? Not a lot, in all honesty. I, I Before I started getting into this, I didn't know any women who were church planters. I'd never heard of a woman planting a church before. Um, so I, I didn't have any framework for that, even as an idea. None. None. Okay. I mean, have you read anything <laughs> about women church planters? No. In fact, the only thing that I've seen um, is just sort of noting the lack of women in this particular mm-hmm. field um, yeah. or saying that it's very rare, you know. Yeah. In my in my first year teaching at Northern Seminary, so let's say this is about 10 years ago, 
in the first summer, it was in the summer, I had a, a course and a student in the class had come to the course for a week from Las Vegas. And her name is Rhonda. Uh-huh. And she and her friend, and I think her friend was a, a platform performer, singer, dancer, or something in Vegas, planted a church in Vegas called Sin City Church. <laughs> and the last I checked, it's doing really well. When I was out, I was out in Vegas a couple of years ago, speaking at an event outside of, I, I think it's called Henderson, outside of Vegas. And uh, she was there, so I got to see her again. I hadn't seen her in six or seven years. But um, I remember talking to her, and she says, there's really not a whole lot of paradigm for this. But every now and then something shows mm. up like a blog post that someone says there's a group of women church planners, and I've wow. looked at it, you know. So there's not a whole lot of it. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, people will contact us from – from this podcast to say yeah. this is this is a network. Um, now, to me, the, the big thing is that you're connected with the Evangelical Covenant Church, and I taught right. at North Park uh, University, the undergrad, for 17 years. Of course, we didn't have a church planning department; we had a Bible department. The seminary uh, has quite um, a mission of mm. church planning. Yeah. Tell us what the process is for even for someone like you. Mm-hmm. Um, what what all do they have you do? And I think this is where, you know, you just go ahead and talk for a while because I know there's a lot of things involved. They <laughs> yes. know what they're doing. They do. They have and a lot of experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was one of the things that attract, attracted us to the Evangelical Covenant denomination was that, um, well, I wanted to be connected with the denomination because I wanted to be part of something that was bigger yeah. Um, where there were accountability structures in place. Um, so that was something I was looking for. But when we went to the first Evangelical Covenant Church service we went to, um, the district superintendent was uh, there, and he was talking about church planning. My husband just started elbowing me. He's like, are you listening to this? Um, because he was talking about their goal with church planting. And it's it's a pretty uh, ambitious goal for the denomination to start new churches. So they do have a pretty organized approach to it. So for me, um, coming in from the outside, I had to go through an assessment center. My husband and I both did. So the first step was um, to be assessed by the denomination to see if we were um, ready for church planting. And there were, let's see, psychological evaluations we had to go through. They talked to us about our finances. They talked to us about our marriage and our parenting. Um we went through sort of a theological examination, lots of interviews, um, personality assessments. I mean, it was a pretty rigorous process. Um, and I think what they're really trying to understand is what's your motivation? What's brought you to this place? Um, and are you ready? That was the question they said they were trying to answer what the assessment center is. Are you ready to plant a church with the evangelical covenant denomination at this time? Um, because, you know, there can be a lot of things you might be called, but the timing may not be right. 
Um, you may not be a great fit for the denomination or it may not be a good fit for you. So these are all the things they were trying to assess through that process. And it was like a three-day um, intensive that we went through. And it was it was a lot. Um, at the were, end there other, the, were there others there? Oh, yeah. So it was on Zoom because of COVID, but oh, there were okay. about six of us who were going through the assessment center, plus our spouses, plus um, lots of coaches and trainers and evaluators from the denomination. So it was a pretty full process and they would put us in breakout rooms. And at one point we had to um, develop an entire worship service to present and they gave us like they told us in the evening we'd like you to have this ready by the following morning um so they were saying you know this is a COVID is a great opportunity put together a virtual worship service and then present it tomorrow morning we want to see what you would do um so just trying to gauge our flexibility our adaptability but every night after this process my husband and i were exhausted we <laughs> We were like, this is intense. Um, but my takeaway was also, I'm so glad that they take this seriously enough to assess people well um, and to really get a sense, try to get a sense as much as you can about the character and quality, um, you know, and preparation of the people that are wanting to plant churches. So that was step one. Um, okay, now I, I, I want yeah. to, I'll add, you get ready for step two. Step, okay. um, my experience with covenant pastors over the years is that they are some of the healthiest mm. human beings and well-prepared pastors I've yeah. been around. Now, yeah. I'm not saying they're perfect, and I'm not saying the covenant church is perfect, but my yeah. experience with those pastors, and I spoke in a lot of their events the Jesus Creed book took off through the Covenant Church. Yeah. Um, I found so many of their pastors healthy. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that concern right, that you're talking about mm -hmm. um, bodes well for forming cultures that are towed and, yeah. and well done. Yeah. Okay, yeah, step I'd two. Agree. Yeah, so step two for me, because I was coming in from the outside, was I needed to be licensed in the denomination. Um, so I was sort of working on this at the same time as we were preparing for the assessment center. So licensing, every denomination has their own process of, um, like, their own ordination process. Yeah. So in the Covenant Church, uh, licensing is... Um, qualifies you for ministry. So it's, it's, I had to write a lot of papers about the various um, distinctives of covenant theology um, and then do a lot of preparation just to enter into the denomination as a licensed minister and then go through again, a multiple day series of interviews with lots of different people. And that was largely um, assessing my theological uh adherence or or um, how I fit into their denomination mm -hmm. as a whole to make sure I aligned. Um, and so that is that is the beginning stages. Once you are permanently assigned to a church, 
that is when you become ordained. But there's not a whole lot of difference between licensing and ordination mm. other than uh, ordination becomes a permanent status where the licensing is something that has to be renewed um, every time you move into a new area of ministry. So I'm currently licensed, which means I can you know, perform weddings, funerals, do all the things. Um, but once we're permanently stationed at a church, then I can become ordained. Um, did you learn learn about Waldenstrom's theory of the atonement? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, this is, this is a very um, particular distinctive of the covenant church. Yes. And I've studied atonement for a long time. You know, I've got two books on it. One was an academic book, and then I was asked to make it more popular. And I didn't have much... I didn't do anything with Waldenstrom. And some mm -hmm. of those people just thought, how can you talk about atonement about Waldenstrom? I said, <laughs> I never read about him anywhere other than when you people are talking about him. It's so true. It's so and, true. Uh, but uh, there, this is always the case with denominations. Mm -hmm. So if you get into Wesleyanism, they're going to yeah. be asking you questions about John Wesley and Francis Asbury. And they're going to be asking you, and you're going, oh, I don't know anything about that. So you can't just... <laughs> You know, join a group and say, "Okay, I want to be ordained because I'm I'm qualified." Right. You're going to have to go through a catechetical process of exactly, learning. exactly. Okay. So phase two, phase three. <laughs> yeah, phase three is what we're in now, which is church planting training. So we we um, we are currently going through like a six month process. I meet with a cohort of church planners every other week. And in between our meetings, I have to watch a bunch of videos, do some readings, do some writing, there's homework, um, and then present on it when we meet together as a group. And um, in those meetings, it's a group of about six of us who are church planters. We each have an individual coach assigned to us. Wow. And then when we meet together, um, we have a trainer that's with us as well. So we're, we have a sort of a training session. Then we form breakout groups with our coaches where we're presenting on the work that we've been doing in between meetings. So this is, um, I have a great big binder full of material, um, and what we're doing is working through in sections all of the pieces that will go into our proposal, which we then present to the denomination at the when we finish the six months of training. And the idea is we're planting as we're going. So we're expected, it's expected that I'm already meeting with a launch team. We're already developing systems of ministry. We're working out details. Um, and, and these are my assignments, you know, to do these actual things, to, you know, write a budget proposal, start fundraising, um, gather a prayer team. So these are my weekly assignments and I'm doing them as we go. And then at the end, I present it to the denomination and they decide what, basically whether or not they think we're viable if we're at a spot where we're ready to launch. Um, and then if they do decide we're viable and they want us to launch, then there are some financial components that the denomination kicks in at that point uh, to help us launch well. For like three years or something like that? Yes. That yeah. yeah. I remember. I remember uh, here. I, I thought it was. I just think it's amazing mm -hmm. how committed they are to yeah. doing this. But it's, you know, there's so many church planning people who say, yeah. I'm going to go plant a church. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go down, you know. And um, 
there this is a very sophisticated, wise, mm. experience-based procedure they've learned over time. Yeah. What works, what doesn't work, uh, what has to be discerned. But the number of the investment, I would say, the mm. number of people yeah. that they are involved with you is really um, a, a clue. Because I know, yeah, I know so many people who've, who've they've basically started churches on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they start a Bible study in their home, right? And they get some friends involved. The next thing you know, they've got thirteen or fourteen people, and then they've got 25 and then they're talking about renting a place and it's, they just haven't gone through the whole process that right. you've gone through. Right. Okay. What, so, so tell me what's next for you. What, what, so you're in. Yeah. So they, there's a four step launch process. Uh, we are currently, yeah. So they really break it, it down it. to the nitty gritty. So we're currently in stage one, which is, you know, gather a prayer team, start fundraising, get a launch team together to start the discernment process. And that's one thing I've really enjoyed about the covenant is there's this tremendous emphasis on discerning the movement of the Holy Spirit. It's not just our great ideas that we come up with. It's where is God leading us together as a group? Uh, What are the needs that we see the Holy Spirit revealing in our community? How can we, you know, position ourselves to best address the needs of our community through the Holy Spirit's guidance? And I I just think that's critical. It's not me with my best ideas, because honestly, I don't think I'm up to that challenge. Um, But it's us as a group discerning together where God is directing. Um, How many do you have in your group right now? Yeah, so we have had eight. We've just added another two adults. So we're up to 10 adults. The goal is that we would have between 30 and 50 before we kind of reach viability stage. And the same thing with uh, like a nest egg of seed money. It's uh, you're supposed to start raising funds. The way I've been describing it, it's sort of like a missionary. When a missionary is preparing to move out to launch into a new place, um, they need startup funds. They need money to make that happen. So same idea. We're asking people to give to this idea um, and we're holding it until we are able to start or when we're ready to start launching out on a bigger scale. So the church that I'm interning with right now, Batavia Covenant, has been gracious to uh, create a sort of a seed fund uh, account for us. So we're raising money under their umbrella. Um, and then it's just sort of being held for us until we're ready to use it. So this is where you're getting to preach now. And yes. Some, so you're experiencing pastoral ministry. Now, are they going to give, let's say, seed some people to you? Just- yes, that's that is the hope. So we are currently okay. in talk with talks with our denomination about what does that look like for them to be our sponsoring church, okay. um, and that that will probably mean some some people and some money that will go with us. And I'm trying to be really hands off and just be open to whatever God provides for us. Um, but it's what's so beautiful to me. I've, I've been interning at this church for about a year and a half now. Um, and it's a small church. It's a small church. Um, but they have such a beautiful heart for, for lost people and, and for seeing church done well. 
that even though they're a small community themselves, they're they're really getting excited about this idea of of helping us launch something new, sort of being birthed out of their small community. So I think that is a huge act of faith on their part as well, to be willing to yeah, let some people yeah. go and some money go yeah. when when how, you know, big, they, how big is Batavia Covenant? Um, I think right now we're averaging between 100 and 150 uh, on a weekend. So it's not a huge congregation. Um, but just, they've become very dear to me. My husband and I were just talking about that yesterday. Like it's, we're forming connections here. It's going to be hard to leave in some ways, but also very excited. We're only, I don't know, 20 to 25 minutes away. So some of these connections will remain. We'll get to partner with them in some ways. So, okay. First of the four step in launching is the gathering. Yes. Funds launching. What's next? The next stage is when you start to hold monthly worship services. And they're very clear that they want them to be monthly and not weekly. The idea is that you hold a worship service and then the next week you gather up your launch team and you do a review. And you're doing some training and equipping of your launch team. sort of you go over the worship service how did things go what could we be doing better and and you use that time to grow your launch team to equip them um sort of you're training them as missionaries and then the following week you do an outreach event in the community it could be a service project or an outreach project Um, but again the idea is to encourage your little seedlings your little launch team um, in the work of community outreach you're equipping them in that and then the following week you come back and you review that and do some teaching around that as well and then you go back to the monthly worship service so there's there's this interesting format and they say church planners will want to start holding weekly services mm-hmm. but they said wisdom knows that you're not ready for that yet um that you're you're kind of um doing like a dress rehearsal and you're doing development work in between and that so that's stage two where you really try to hone those skills and uh, develop your team equip them well um, so that they are serving alongside of one another. So it's not just the pastor doing all of the things. It's the pastor yeah, yeah. training and equipping and encouraging people um, in that work. So they learn you know, it themselves. In, in the last year, um, my daughter, Laura Berenger and I have been, have fielded questions. We've done about, I've done about 150 uh, Tove casts. Um, but we've fielded a constant question about how to change our church. So mm-hmm. we've we've written another book, and we actually sent I sent the manuscript in this week to Tyndale. Um, Tove Unleashed is what we're calling mm-hmm. it, but I don't know oh, if they're going to let us use. I don't know <laughs> if they're going to let us use the word Tove in the title. Um, but one of the big things in forming, let's say, transforming a culture, and you're forming a culture, mm-hmm. which is basically transforming, is to build a coalition. And you've said some things yeah. here that are really important, and. And there is a, a tendency uh, in church planning and in any church for it to be a top-down process where mm. the pastors, you know, they're they're all talented. They know God and all this stuff. And they say, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. This. But a coalition, mm. what you're working on, forming a coalition, your launch team, whatever, they uh, learn from one another. 
Yeah. And you talked about this earlier about discerning together. Yes. They learn from one another by listening to one another so that it becomes um, an ownership of the entire group. Right. Um, and that is fundamental for a healthy culture to form. Yeah. If, if you don't do that, it's so top down that it's totally dependent upon the pastor. And a lot of churches succeed in, in mm. some ways, if you want to call yeah. it that, with people who are totally top down in their approach. Uh, but it's all based on the charisma of a pastor who preaches from the platform. And it, there's uh, a bunch of followers rather than a genuine coalition. So yeah. I, I really like this. This is good. Yeah. Third, okay, yeah. so what's third now? Then? So third is when you start moving into... I think it's, I think there's an intermediary step where maybe you're doing worship services twice a month and you're moving towards, um, the goal is to be moving more and more towards more public launch, but you're training, uh, your launch team, how to hold services, how to, by now they should be equipped where people are coming in and joining your network, but it's not people who know the pastor. So at stage three, it should be people are coming because they've made connections with members of your launch team, and they're just getting to know the pastor through that connection point. Um, so, so the gathered are now becoming the gatherers, um, and that is being extended. And, and so you're growing exponentially, but it's because your people have been equipped well to serve as extend, extensions of the mission. Um, and then the final stage then becomes that public launch where you are more outward facing, but all along you've built in these rhythms of ser- community service and community outreach. So you don't give up on any of those pieces, but you're building them into the life of your church. Um, but stage four starts to look like, okay, we have a children's ministry. We have a youth ministry. Uh, uh, you know, maybe just in a baby form, but we're putting some of these pieces into place. We're talking about what small group ministry is going to look like. So you're you're starting to build in some of those systems, um, but ho- without losing these rhythms of being outward facing as a church. Um, so wh- this is one of the things that attracted me because my background is in relational evangelism. Um, that's really where my heart beats. It's for people who, um, you know, are not antagonistic towards faith. They may have a little bit of a church background somewhere in their lives, um, but they don't know the language of church. They don't understand the culture of church. And they're scared off um, by walking into a huge church where everybody seems to know the rhythms. Everybody seems to know the secret code of when to stand and when to sit and what to say, um, you know, and how to act. And so I, I really want to, this is, this is the odd um, overlap that I hope to achieve because I love liturgy. I love um, ancient church traditions, but doing them in a way that invites people in to learn the process and to learn the why of of weekly rhythms, liturgical rhythms. Why do we do a confession and an assurance of pardon? Um, So I want to include those rhythms, but also explain them and invite people into them. So church isn't something we passively sit and watch. 
It's something that we're participating in. It, we're connected to a global church throughout time and history. Um, but also with an eye to say, you're new to this. Let's walk you through it. Let's teach you yeah. how to do it. And, and you know, hopefully you'll get swept up into the family of God and how it's always looked and these rhythms and repetitions and why they're meaningful. Um, I often joke that uh, if you come, if you go to an Anglican church, now let me change the topic there. <laughs> um, don't sit in the front row because there are going to be people standing and sitting and you're not going to know you're going to be up when they're down and down yes. when they're up. And you're, yes. Um, so there is that, there is that learning uh, curve of knowing how this stuff works mm. with, with liturgy and the lectionary. Um, so, um, now, the, the, the big question I have, you know, I didn't think of this as advertising for your church <laughs> till, till you were going. I thought, I think there'll be some people listening and might say, I want to try this church out. Um, so I, so that wasn't at all the intent. I wanted to mm -hmm. learn about how you got how you're going through this process. I think it's fantastic. Mm. And I, I give all credit to the um, to the Covenant Church for its wisdom on how to yeah. do this. So. All right. Now, every church is distinct. Yeah. And I know you're forming a coalition in your launch team. You're building a network, et cetera, et cetera. But what what uh, is your vision for the church? Or yeah. are you going to say to me, we don't know yet? OK, but I'm <laughs> going to say, yes, you do know something. OK, I think for me, what started all this, in all honesty, was years ago when my kids were in elementary school, I kept meeting parents um, who had small kids who wanted their children to learn about God, but didn't know the first place to start. And I felt like, you know, some of this, it's just an occupational hazard. I was a book editor for Christian publishers. So people figured out that I knew some things about God and the Bible. Yeah, and so yeah. people would come to me with questions, you know, what, where should we be we be starting with our children. We want them to read the Bible. We want to talk about faith, but we don't feel equipped to do it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I kept having these conversations with people. And I thought, well, you just go to church. Like, the, you know, churches are designed for this. But the more I talked to folks, I got the sense of, well, they're scared to death to walk into church and to feel stupid. Um, you know, I had a lady, I started, my husband and I started a community Bible study several years ago because we kept meeting people like this. And I said, well, I, I know how to teach you the Bible. Let's just do it. Um, but I had one lady take me aside at soccer practice afterwards and said, okay, you keep talking about numbers. Like you, you talk about, we were studying Mark, you talk about Mark and then you say two numbers and I open the Bible and there's a big number and they're little numbers. Which numbers are you talking about? And I just thought, I love that. And yeah. so talking her through, well, there's chapters and verses, you know, the, the different categories. But I thought, oh, my gosh, I this is what I want to do the rest of my life is to help people who are sort of orbiting around faith. They they are near it, but they don't know quite how to get there. Um it's just coming alongside of them and saying, oh, my gosh, we would love to help you learn how to do this. You can do this. You can learn about God. You can learn about how to read the Bible. Um, and we would love to support you in that process. We don't need to use high sounding theological terms. Someone in the church should know that. Um, you know, hopefully the pastor knows those things and knows church history and knows those heavy hitting things. But also 
let's let's equip people so that they can walk alongside you and introduce you on the ground floor to who God is um, without making you feel embarrassed that you don't already know these things. And um, this same mom, the the church I was working at at the time, gave her children a preschool Bible. And she told me, she's like, I read it with the girls at night and I'm learning the stories as I'm reading them to my kids. And I just thought that is so beautiful. And I, yep, I love that. Yeah. And, and yeah. I just want to see more of that. I want to see people... Um, who feel like they don't belong in a church or who've been hurt by a church, find a church where it feels safe and where they feel valued and where they feel like they belong. Um, Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about the covenant as well, that sacraments are a means of grace. It's an opportunity to invite people in to know God better. Um, So all of that has just been a joy. And I, and I look forward to seeing what God is going to do. There are days, my husband and I talk about this, there are days where I get so excited and so motivated and can't wait to see what God's going to do. And then there are days where I'm like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I, I do not feel like the stereotypical church planting type of person at all. And so there are moments where I feel a little bit like an imposter. I'm not the super charismatic um extrovert that's out there working the crowds. Um, but I also think God can show up and use surprising people to do surprising things. So I'm willing, I'm available. Um, I am not above asking for help when I need it and we'll see what happens. But you know, so it's so important to, I mean, I I do think that those super charismatic, what you're calling the church, the typical church planning person, um, is, it, it's so person-based, yeah, charismatic person-based. It's going to be platform-based, performance-based. Whereas if you build uh, a network, a coalition of people who are on board and contributing, when you have 50 workers, it's a lot better than when you have one who's motivating some people to do some things for mm-hmm. him, usually yeah. him. Okay. Yeah. So I really, I really like uh, the process. I think you're gifted to do it, and uh, I'm really glad to get to talk to you about this, but I wonder if you have, you know, you usually let me do this. Do you have (laughs) anything in closing that you'd like to say to people (laughs) other than, no, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I I think if anything through this process, uh, it's just an openness to to say yes to God wherever that leads. Um, Mm -hmm. God takes us on surprising journeys. And I think God's looking for people who are willing and available, um, who are willing to lead scared. I definitely feel scared, um, but I'm confident in God and I'm confident in his call. And that's where I keep just grounding myself is that I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe God was behind it. So I'm trusting in that and I'm, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to feel awkward and completely out of my depth um, because I trust that, that that's where God is willing to use me. Um, So that's what I would say. Just be willing to be a little bit scared (laughs) if that's what God calls you to. Okay. Now you're going to have to lead me through in a liturgical way 
the closing of <laughs> Kingdom Roots podcast because I don't have this in script the way you do. Sure. I'll, t- I'll tell you, we have so enjoyed this conversation about church planning. It's been fun to talk about. And we look forward to being with you next time when we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 